out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello. I am super happy to talk to you again, even though I know this is a one-way conversation. I know you can't talk back, but I'm okay with that for now. Uh, if you want to, to say something or leave me some kind of, you know, taped message, you can you can leave it in the comments. You, know, you, can, you can do your little audio button and then upload that to the internet and then leave me an audio message. Like, this is what I think about this. Blah, blah, blah. And you could do that. Or you could just write it down, which is something that a lot of people do. And, um, and that would be awesome. But just because I'm doing one outward going conversation doesn't mean it's necessarily a one-way street. It's just, just me going to be me talking for a, a while that there is a lot going on. <clears throat> so uh, I think what I'd like to do this week is cover the market for reputation. So I have made claims, qualified claims in the recent past that through my Substack writing, that the way that the market for reputation is jiggered is by uh, deprecating the worth or the price slash worth of a certain uh, group of words or uh, groups of, of different things. They, they just want to lower the cost of the data trade. So what they'll do is they'll say, peanut butter is sexist this week, okay? But peanut butter is not actually sexist or racist. But internet tech, utopian socialists said, well, we're gonna, we're gonna bring down the price on peanut butter as a, in the reputation economy because the data trade would cost less for the traffic around peanut butter if peanut butter were racist and sexist, okay? Then, then less people would, you know, we could say that, that more people who engage with peanut butter, including dogs who are not sexist or racist at all, they just look funny when they're eating it at the top of their mouth. So dogs, babies, Mom's making peanut butter sandwiches in the middle of the day. Wonder Bread would also be ascribed with whiteness and racist. So if you had a peanut butter sandwich made on a Wonder Bread bread, then that would be, that would be like a super racist commodity this week, this week, because they need the price to go down, down on data. So, so let me, let me just cut to this BPR article that I saw this week. I, I couldn't. And I'm like, who, is, who the hell decides that peanut butter is racist? And I'm like, oh, I know the answer to this. Let me just begin by saying this BPR article that I was going to retrieve for the purposes of reading is, is somewhat readable, but I can only read parts of it because it's, it's broken up into like Twitter pullouts. So I'm going to read segments of it. 
but but the preface I need to, to give to you is that Melissa Fine, the author of this blog post, or and it's it's a news piece, um, doesn't really frame it in the context of media pricing or data data and advertising pricing uh, for for looky loos and that sort of thing. And so if you're if you're moving data to another vicinity and inflation is high here in America and the economy is depressed in China, in Hong Kong, in Beijing, and other places where they're doing data trades and, and making the trades for cash. So they need they need things to cost less in order for the rate to to make the exchange. So in order to continue trade, data trade with China and their desperate economic straits currently, uh, the rates would have to, to, to plummet or to go down. And what we know about Silicon Valley is that they're tray, 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 uh, pragmatic, sympathetic to communist cause as long as it makes them money. That's what we need to say and clarify and get out of our throats. Why this is bad for our culture and what is being done with data are separate things. But here's what I want to say to you is that the Federal Trade Commission has a duty and a burden to look upon the artificial uh, weighting in the algorithm of commodities. If suddenly every single fungible commodity for food, salt, sugar, any commodity is suddenly somehow weighted as racist and sexist in the reputation market so that China can get a better price, somebody needs to inspect that. Because there's no agreement from the consumer public. You know, they're just saying, oh, well, they don't know what's going on. It doesn't affect them. But maybe, maybe it does. There are deceptive harms that are cited as cause propaganda in the frame of the article. If everything, every commodity, every Western commodity, from rice to corn to wheat to anything that you can buy at the supermarket that is made and manufactured as a food or a good, if that somehow is somehow racist and systemically sexist as an indictment of our entire economic culture, this is something, that's some kind of insider trading and, and special deal-making with China that we need to, to, to really look at, okay? Because that's, that's tunneling under, there's, there's a lot of tunneling in this episode. We'll get to the border in a minute. But this is, this is subversive. This goes, this tunnels underneath and undermines our markets. You know, if, if we're expected to play fair, this isn't fair at all. Because people of decent and good report, you know, are buying Peter, peanut butter online and they're suddenly getting a, a depreciated social score for buying a racist product. And that 
is no. So I'll try to find this and read you segments of it. So it's it's based on a game. And it's it's uh it the reports are is that we regret to inform you that peanut butter is both racist and sexist according to the Google search result. So is ketchup and don't even get us started on happiness. Okay, so even Google appears to be racist. This is according to, to the article. And so then she she references uh, how peanut butter was given an implicit bias and the rules were never written, but they wouldn't pop up when you search the question. But if you type peanut butter is not racist into the search engine, you still come up with a list of articles telling you that it is. So this is artificial weighting from other places in the internet to, to fudge the markets. And it, it, it has to be because it's not, this is not, there's no way that peanut, a jar of peanut butter sitting on the desk that was made by Dr. Carver, a black man, black American man in, in the 1800s or whenever he did manufacture, so manufacture the first peanut butter product. Um, there's no way that could be a racist product. But someone decided that they would slap a label on it for the pricing. So there's uh, outlines of techniques for propaganda. It could also be socialist propaganda, which means like, why is our market being tampered with by special interest who get to, to manipulate SEO? What gives them the right to screw with our market so so unfairly this is why the ftc has to get involved in this because reputation nomenclature has become a commodity or a way to to screw up the values of the marketplace anyway so if i haven't made my case um you know argue with me send me send me a reason why this is this is false or how i got it wrong or whatever but because I know about the way data is traded and this particular thing, you know, where a, a good, not even a good or service, just anything, happiness being this archetype, everything is racist. No, no. They just want to deprecate reputation. So that they can get it for less or they can make, they can slave the data for way less than it ordinarily would be. And that, that is market tampering. And that is a crime. Whoever's doing this, you know, a group, a special interest group, you know, a bunch of people who are, who are, you know, getting blowtorches and tongs on the market because they hate capitalism. You know, they've adopted the socialist religion civic religion okay but they're gonna screw their markets in a, in a false and criminal way with the complicity of the tech companies because the tech companies are like we'll just take your money so that's not okay that's not okay so i i need to move on i i think i've i've mushed up that point pretty good pretty good so it's been a really tough week as far as 
uh, news from the border. And But one of the things that was kind of jarring as far as cognitive dissonance is Biden's sudden eruption. It's like he rolled out of bed that morning and goes, Ah, build them all! Keep all the people out! Like, what? These are Democrats? Or maybe they're just uniparty Democrats. Anyways, they just woke up, turned over and said, Oh, well, let's let's throw them a bone. Those, we'll, we'll build the wall. That'll make our Republicrat uh, companions happy. They're going to get their useless uh, Army Corps of Engineer project for the fuselage at the border. And then the cartels will continue to just tunnel under it and we'll keep getting... You know, people and drugs the same way we've been getting it for probably 18 years. As long as there's been kind of a fence, a quarter of a fence, some of a fence, there's been tunnels underneath it, kids. So that's another way to undermine border security by giving everyone involved false hope about what the fence actually does. The only real solution to this problem is dealing with with Latin American trade. I don't really have any special, specialized coverage of Latin American um, summit, but I want to let you know that staying here in the United States and observing the glut of, of bodies that have traversed over the border is always going to do two things. It's going to make the cartels enormously wealthy and it's going to make America completely unsafe and full of drugs. So none of those things are actually news, but I just wanted to quickly remind you that that's, that's the current state of affairs. But, but to the great credit of people in the RGV, I think they made a snap decision. I think what they have done is they have said, you know, we can't treat our own people. Why should we treat these people who are strangers? I think they've started to prefer their own population, which is a smart decision. You know, I, I know most people in the RGV are very humanitarian. They're very good people, but they're pressed against their wall. Not the border wall, just their own, their own limits. They're pressed, hard pressed. If their wife, who is, you know, however many weeks pregnant, suddenly goes into premature labor, she needs a hospital to go to. And if it's all full of people who can't pay them and just got there and... There's no place for her to be. What is she going to do? Is she going to go to a Tia's house and, you know, produce her child in the bathtub? You know, what is she supposed to do? So, I'm just thinking, like, this is where everybody's just like, blah, blah, blah. you know, they've been so flooded for so long, over two and a half years. You know, COVID's got everybody all squirrely and... I think they just said, okay, it's just time. We're, let's, we're going into self-preservation mode. And we're going to prefer our own people at this point. If Mr. 
UN Global in the White House wants to send UN tents here because they've got NGO enforcers hovering, making sure that people check in and get on the Greyhound. If that's what's happening, then they can they can set up the med tents and urinate our, our tax money that way. Because they're, they're doing it. They've got the money coming in somehow. You know, USAID and the State Department need to have a little conference about bringing some of that back to the border where probably 18 different nations at least are coming over and just doing what they like. So, uh, and then they get on a bus and they go to a blue city. That, that's what happens. But if they, they decide that this is what they want to do, continue to do, you know, they want to make it look like, oh, well, let's just incrementally solder this this uh, fence together in the next six months, and, and then the whole of the people at the border will clap for us because they are stupid. No, they won't. They are going to remember all the dumb stuff they had to deal with for the last nearly three and a half, almost four years, and they're going to go, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He went to El Paso, and then he didn't do anything. So that's not, that's the best editorial I can give you for today because zero punto final. Nothing has happened. They have done nothing. So there are things that the Biden administration is doing, but as far as border directly impacting that personal community that lives there, nothing. So I just need to clarify, there's plenty of decent and good things that are finally beginning to happen. But I think the one, one of the most remarkable things that has happened this week that, that shows you just everything is that Henry Cuellar, who is a Texas congressman, I don't really care what party, he, I believe he's a Democrat, I don't think it matters, but he is from South Texas, was carjacked this week in D.C. So that impresses me that the crime problem is a national problem. Also, let me bring these two news items up. So the first item I want to bring up is this wonderful article from the Free Press by Rob Henderson. This was October 5th. And the headline is, you know, the subheader was actually the death of two progressive activists shocked the nation. And that says everything about crime and class in America. Recently, two high-profile supporters of justice reform were murdered. At 4 a.m. on Monday, Ryan Carson, a 32-year-old social justice and climate change activist, was walking with his girlfriend in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, when he was stabbed to death by a stranger. Only a few hours earlier, in Philadelphia, activist and journalist Josh Kruger was shot and killed in his home. And two Democratic lawmakers who voted for redirect funding to community-based policing reforms have been recent victims of violent crime. On Monday night, blocks away from the Capitol in Washington, D.C., 
Congressman Henry Cuellar was carjacked by three armed men. The lawmaker survived the incident unscathed. In February, Angie Craig was attacked in an elevator at her apartment building in Capitol Hill. A homeless man demanded she allow him into her home to use the restroom. He then punched her and grabbed her around the neck. She escaped after throwing hot coffee on him. Of course, these people did not deserve harm because of their support for soft on crime policies. But I've long argued that many of the people who hold what is known as luxury beliefs, ideas and opinions that confer status on the upper class, while often inflicting costs on the lower classes, are oblivious to the consequences of their views. Support for defunding the police is a classic example. Luxury beliefs can stem from malice, good intentions, and outright naivete. But the individuals who hold these beliefs, the people who wield the most influence in policy and culture, or so they say, are often sheltered when their preferences are implemented. Some online commenters have said that my luxury beliefs thesis is undermined by these tragic events because the victims were affluent and influential and they still suffered the consequences of their beliefs. But the fact remains that poor people are far more likely to be victims of violent crime. For every upper middle class person killed 20 poor people you never hear about are assaulted and murdered. You just never hear about them and they don't get identified by name in the media. Their stories don't get told. So we're going to stop there. She went on, uh, or he went on. This is Rob Henderson for the Free Press. Please check that out on Substack. I have one supplemental article here. Um, Also, this is anti-cop city activists arrested after allegedly stealing car, plowing it into two other vehicles. So this is from the Daily Daily Caller News Foundation from Lillian Twetton. Okay, this is October 4th. An outspoken critic of the planned Atlanta Public Safety Training Center was arrested on Friday after allegedly stealing and crashing a Mercedes-Benz in the area, a police report of the incident detailed. Reverend Matthew Vaughn Johnson Jr., the executive director of the Beloved Community Ministries in Atlanta, went to a local mechanic to pick up his car when he allegedly swiped the keys to a luxury vehicle, driving the car off the lot, and collided with two cars before fleeing the scene, according to the police report obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. Johnson aligned himself with the Antifa movement and supported Defend Atlanta Forest in in a letter uh, published in the summer. Quote, Police are the frontliners to reinforce these social injustices that rich and powerful private interests by expenditure in government and law enforcement. Johnson wrote it in the letter. The reason why people have such hostile feelings towards the police is an understanding that they are not being mobilized to keep people safe, but to more so to protect ill-gotten private property and enforce a legal system that devours the poor and setting them up for continued exploitation. So that's totally Marxist. So the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center called Cop City by activists against who opposed the project as a planned multi-million dollar facility first announced in 2020 that will be used to prepare cadets as a training center and offices officers for police work. Rioters allegedly used violent 
measures at least 255 times to halt construction of the project, including lighting police cars on fire and attempting to destroy construction equipment. Surveillance video allegedly shows Johnson paying for the repairs on his SUV before grabbing another customer's car keys from the front desk and dashing into the parking lot, according to the police report. The manager of the shop tried to stop Johnson, but was unable to block him from taking the car onto the main road and speeding away. Wow. What kind of psychotic break did this guy have? I'm just real curious about what happened. He goes in to pay for his SUV and he just decides as a reverend minister to steal a car. Just, I'm just super curious. Johnson was arrested on September 29th and was charged with reckless driving, speeding, theft by taking a hit and run, and following too closely. According to court documents, Johnson was released on bond shortly after his arrest. Johnson did not immediately respond to the Daily Caller News Foundation's request for comment. 